Welcome to the Desert City Church Podcast. We are glad you are tuning in. As a church, we are currently in the season of Lent. This is a 40-day period of fasting, prayer, and reflection as we prepare to celebrate resurrection. During this time, we are going through the Gospel of Mark. What you are about to hear is a sermon about the story of Jesus, given live at one of our gatherings in Phoenix. We hope it reminds you that God loves you, that your life is meaningful, and that you are called to love others. If you have any questions or things we can pray for, please reach out to us at info at desertcitychurch.com. Well, thanks so much, Tim, for reading that passage on Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday uh, that starts Holy Week, this chain of events uh, that, that leads to Jesus' arrest, uh, his uh, brutal torture, um, his death on the cross, and then eventually resurrection. This is a special time uh, for the church where we celebrate a week where the world changes. Everything changes in this week, and, um, and, it's, a, and it's a special time. Uh, it's, it's a time on, on Palm Sunday, as Tim read, uh, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, uh, and there's a, parade, there's a parade for him. It feels like a triumph. There's all sorts of hope uh, for who he's going to be, for who he is, but also that he's going to be this king. Um, and I think that there was a lot of hope that he was going to be a certain kind of king here on earth, and that he was going to fix these earthly problems. But Jesus enters into Jerusalem uh, to, to fix not earthly problems, but to fix problems that deal with eternity. And I think that the people had these high expectations that Jesus was going to rid them from the Romans, that, that these, the Romans who had kind of oppressed them and enslaved them, that Jesus was going to come deliver them from the Romans, and Jesus came to deliver them from something different, the bondage of sin. Uh, he was a different kind of king. He was a part of a different kind of kingdom. And Palm Sunday reminds us of the kind of king that he was, that he came to suffer uh, to suffer so that we may have life. Their expectations weren't necessarily met as they realized that Jesus was going to be a different kind of king. And maybe uh, this Palm Sunday, you're living a life right now of disruption, and you have all sorts of expectations for what you want God to do in your life, and you're realizing that maybe God hasn't met your expectations. But the good news is, and the good news that we see in the Gospels is, even when those expectations that we have for God aren't met, it doesn't mean that God's not up to something deeper, more meaningful, more significant. And I think what Jesus is doing in our world today, in the midst of our disruption, in the midst of the things that we've been disappointed in, um, in the things that we're afraid of, and the things that are causing uncertainty and anxiety, and anxiety God's doing something much deeper in our lives that's in touch with eternity. He's doing a deep soul work on us. And that's something I don't want to miss in the midst of this disrupted season. There was a man who was able to watch this last week of Jesus's life. His name is James. He was very close to Jesus. In fact, he was Jesus's brother. And he watched Jesus enter into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and go get arrested, go to the cross, and eventually rise from the dead. What we know about James is that he wasn't necessarily all uh, sold out for Jesus before this week. Uh, there was some skepticism. You might understand that as since he was Jesus' brother. But after this week, after Jesus rises from the dead, something changes in James. He, he's convinced. He's all in with who Jesus is and what Jesus is up to in this world. And so James becomes one of the leaders of the early church, uh, he's uh, kind of running point on the church in Jerusalem. And uh, in fact, we, we find in Acts chapter 15, the council of Jerusalem, James is one of the key decision makers 
in the early church. And he's, he's put in that position, not just because of his proximity to Jesus uh, throughout his life as his brother. He's put into that position as well because he's a man of wisdom and faith. Wisdom over foolishness. Wisdom, the art of living skillfully in whatever conditions we find ourselves, and faith over fear. He is a man that is just full of faith. And so he actually writes a letter to the early church uh, that is uh, to all the churches that are kind of like scattered all over the world. And he writes a letter full of wisdom and faith. And so as we are in this season of uncertainty and disruption, we wanted to just jump into these words of James because they're full of wisdom, they're full of faith, Uh, They're full of, here's how we live skillfully in uh, uncertain conditions and and, in circumstances that we just don't really know how to navigate on our own. James has a word for us. And so we talked about how this this letter is all about faith. Um, Faith that we are saved, uh, not not just that we are uh, saved alone by faith, but that that faith is a certain kind of faith that's never alone. It's always accompanied with something. And so the first week we talked about how faith uh, faith is, is, is something that is revealed through trials. And we're going through trials right now. And yet there's something uh, in, in our soul that, that our faith is revealed, how we persevere through trials that brings us to maturity. It, it makes us more complete. And then last week we talked about how uh, faith, faith is shown through our works. Faith is shown in uh, the things that we do, the way that we live life here and now. And then this week, I want to talk about how faith is shown through our words. So faith is shown through our words. If you can open up to James chapter 3, we'll start here. Starting in verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, which I just think is kind of an ironic line right now. So many of us are homeschooling, and we are trying to teach our children things like basic math and English. And if anything, um, this season has reminded us of just how appreciative we are for our kids' teachers, because teaching our kids is not easy. But James opens this passage with, Not many of you should uh, become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. And anyone who is never at fault in what he, they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships for an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by small a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, and reptiles and creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no one, no human, No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise the Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? 
or a grapevine bear figs. Neither can salt, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. These are the words of James, the brother of Jesus, these words of wisdom, where he's talking about there's something about our words that matter. Faith is revealed in our words. Our words matter. There was a, an article by Time Magazine um, back in like 2014 that, that talked about how many words we use throughout the day. Um, and, and what it revealed was that men use on average about 7,000 words a day. Men will speak 7,000 words a day. That seems like a lot until you find out that uh, this report shows that women uh, use 20,000 words a day. So men, 7,000 words. Women, 20,000 words a day. So if you're in my house and, you know, my, my, my wife and my two daughters, that's 60,000 words a day that I get to, uh, to joyfully listen to. Uh, but, but we talk, we, we, we communicate, we speak. We, that, that means that if James is talking about how words matter, when we speak that much every single day, so much of what we say has great influence. It matters what we say. I've also heard that one-fifth of our life is spent speaking speaking out loud. That's a, a, huge, a huge percentage of our life is spent communicating, using words. And what James is saying is that these words, they matter. They matter. In James 1.19, in that first chapter of James, he says that we should be quick to speak, quick to listen, and slow to speak. We should be quick to listen and slow to speak. When we are full of words, uh, we need to understand the power of our words, that words matter. Um, a couple observations just from this this passage on, uh, on, on, on the tongue and how powerful words are. Um, the first observation is this, that when it comes to our words, the tongue is small, but it's powerful. The tongue is small, but it's powerful. James says this, we, when he uses a couple different examples to explain how powerful the tongue is. Verse three says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Now, I've uh, ridden on horses before. Maybe you have too. Uh, every time I get on top of a horse, I'm reminded of how powerful the animal is. The first few kind of like minutes on the horse uh, just feels awkward and you're realizing that you're, you're, you're on top of something of just great power and yet at the same time you realize how if the horse is trained well, which pretty much every horse I've been on uh, is pretty well trained, how, how easily you can control the power, the energy of the horse simply by steering it. Um, the, the, the bit allows you to do that. It, it takes something that has a lot of power and allows you to grab control to harness the power of the horse. And this is the example Paul's using when he says that this is what our, our words are. This is our tongue. It has this, this great power to, that, that, that controls our whole body. Um, then he talks about this idea of a rudder with a ship. Um, I've been on a few ships in my day. Got, I grew up, my family used to go sailing outside of uh, San Diego, super fun. Um, my, my wife's uh, dad lives up in Michigan. He took me out on a sailboat one time out on Lake Michigan. And, uh, and, and if you've ever gotten to be on kind of like a sailing yacht and been able to drive it, one of the things that I'm always reminded is how easy it is to steer the ship. And when I'm, when I'm steering the ship, it's so easy to overcompensate. Just by, by turning uh, the wheel, you could completely overcompensate. The entire large ship is, is controlled by this small 
rudder. And when Paul is talking about our tongue, he uses this example. Something so small has so much influence. The words that we use have great power. I mean, think about like the, even today, like with all the COVID-19 stuff going on, just the, the words of our political leaders, we hang on every word because the things that they're saying matter. They, they're, they're, they're helping us make decisions that our businesses might rely on or our own health might rely on. I know earlier uh, this week in Governor Ducey was uh, explaining us the stay-at-home policy. I was hanging on every word, and we got to the end of it, and it was like, what are we still supposed to do? I don't know, but we're, we're trying to like, figure all of that out. Our words have power. Words control narratives. Words control um, decision-making. And, and Paul is saying that, or Paul, James is saying that these words have great influence. Uh, the second observation that we make is that the tongue is small, but it's dangerous. So it's small, but it's, and it's, but it's powerful, but it's also small, um, but it's dangerous. He says in verse 5, James writes, Consider what a great forest is set up on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a word of evil among the parts of the body, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, that sounds extreme, full of deadly poison, but, but you, you know how toxic words can be, how painful words can be, how words can affect relationships. Um, I, the, in the season of staying at home, uh, we're starting to get to the point where we feel a little bit of cabin fever. And so our tempers are flaring. We're, we're shouting often. Um, we're trying to, you know, we're, we're irritable. And so like Marcy and I are trying to figure out how do we just speak kind words to each other in this season? How do we not just snap at our children all the time? Because our words have, have the ability to hurt others. There's something dangerous about our words. There was a, a report um, that, was, that came out um, by psychologists out of the University of Denver um, a couple of years ago, and it was talking about how they were able to predict whether or not married couples were able to stay together um, early on in their marriage. And, and one of the things that they were able to predict was the amount of put-downs uh, that they, as they were kind of meeting with these young couples, whether or not they would, they would put each other down with their words. And uh, this report uh, was released in a book called uh, We Can Work It Out, but basically what they were saying is that um, among couples who would ultimately stay together, five out of every 100 comments made about each other were put-downs. So five out of every 100 comments or so, if you're under five comments out of 100 comments um, that you make towards each other were put-downs, um, that was a pretty good ratio. But they said once that went up to about 10 comments that were put-downs out of every 100, those couples tended to not be able uh, to stay together. And the gap would magnify over the following kind of years as those couples uh, would, would continue to, to just put each other down. They would use their words uh, to, attack, to attack each other. They say this in the book, uh, we can work it out. Hostile put-downs act as, a cancerous, as cancerous cells that, if unchecked, erode the relationship over time. Hostile put-downs act as cancerous cells that, if unchecked, erode the relationship over time. In the end, relentless, unremitting negativity takes control 
And a couple can't get through a week without major blow-ups. Put-downs, just, just destroying each other with our words. Um, this is something for me that uh, I find uh, easy to do um, with, with people that are close to me, to, to go after them. And, and part of it comes out of my own sense of, um, of, of chaos going on in my own soul. How quickly it is to, to lash out at, a, at my spouse. How quickly it is to lash out at people um, that I'm close to and to put them down. There's something about when you're trying to put them down, it comes out of this insecurity um, that instead of trying to like, you know, maybe rise to meet their, where they're at, you're trying to bring them down to your level. Put-downs always tend to be that way. And I find myself doing this um, so easily out of my insecurity. I, I'm so good at like pointing out what's wrong in other people. Um, and oftentimes what, what it comes is because I'm insecure about maybe their success or their, their, their strategy or, or different things that I, I just feel bad about myself. And so it's so much easier to put them down. And yet put-downs are painful. They just rip apart relationships. Paul says that our words can be dangerous. Another thing that I'm really good at with having dangerous words is cynical comments. I'm a, I'm a cynical person. Um, and and I, I think for, for me, like cynicism, for it's so easily disguised as wisdom. I think I'm like, you know, being prophetic as I'm speaking into a situation. But really cynicism is false wisdom. I like, I want people to think that I'm smart, that I'm an expert, um, but really I'm an expert in all the things that are wrong with the world. And so I can just pick apart things and it's absolutely draining. And it, it really comes from this place in my heart that is just kind of full of insecurity. It's full of shame. And, and I find myself being cynical towards others. And the way that like, like put-downs might hurt other people, cynicism is something that actually just, it, it not only can it hurt other people and, and different things, it hurts my soul. It, it causes this darkness where I just see everything that is wrong with the world, and then I vocalize it. I voice that to others. Um, and then gossip. Gossip is another thing that is extremely dangerous. Gossip is... Uh, the, the Proverbs talk about how it's almost like this fire. James talks about how it's this fire that spreads. In Proverbs, they talk about, like, when we gossip, it's, it's almost like you're throwing logs onto a fire that is just helping this quarrel erupt. And when you're not gossiping, you're taking logs off of the fire. Our words are dangerous for relationships. So James is saying that the tongue is small, but it's powerful. The tongue is strong. Is small, but it's, it's, uh, it's something that is very strong. It has great influence. But also the, the, the tongue is small, but it's dangerous. It's, it's something that can be toxic and poisonous. It can damage relationships. And then another observation is that James says that the tongue is small, but it's also revealing. It reveals something that's going on inside of us. He says this in verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, we've talked about how oftentimes when James is writing, his words are almost like an echo of Jesus' words. So many of the words in this letter from James echo what Jesus is saying throughout the Gospels. And this sounds very similar to Jesus' words in Luke 6. In Luke 6, verse 43, it says, No good tree bears bad fruit, 
nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. And people do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Let me read that again. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. There's something about the tongue that although it's small, it reveals something that's going on inside of us. And so I find like when I am putting others down, when I am being cynical, when I am gossiping, really that comes from something inside of me that is broken, that is hurting, that is angry. And that just comes out and it just spills out all over everyone else. If it reveals what's going on, here's the question that we have to consider. If our mouth reveals what's going on, what does your mouth reveal about you? What do your words reveal about you? Do they reveal anger or jealousy or bitterness? Your words reveal that you're desperate or sad or broken. Is it neediness? Is it an insecurity? Is it hurt? What is it that your words reveal about you? There's this outpouring of what's inside of us that comes out that we, we verbalize. We've talked about how uh, Jesus, uh, we give our heart to Jesus. Jesus comes in, he makes us new. We surrender our heart to him. And when it comes to our words, words that are shown through faith, uh, one of the challenges I would have is that uh, we, we need to allow Jesus to come in and just transform our heart. Now that happens, I think there, there's a moment where that happens. We, we, we call that conversion, but it's called giving your heart to Jesus. And maybe that's something you've never done. Maybe that's something you need to consider doing. Jesus, come into my heart so that the things uh, that, that are inside of me are transformed into this eternal glory that the Gospels speak about. Maybe you've done that before, and maybe you need to allow Jesus to come in and continue to just renew your heart today. You know that you've given your heart to Jesus, and yet there's all of these different kind of like landmines within your heart that every now and then just pop up and they come out in your words that are conveyed to your closest friends, to your spouse, to your children. Maybe it's words of anger, the words of bitterness, the words of insecurity and shame. But when Jesus has our heart, when he transforms our heart into what he wants it to be, into his likeness, all of a sudden these things that start flowing out of us that shape our words become Christ-centered words. And today, we say, Lord, transform us so that our words are uplifting, encouraging, edifying, that our words glorify you. Here's what I think a a person whose heart's been transformed um, sounds like. This is in Proverbs 10. It says, The mouth of righteousness is a fountain of life. The mouth of righteousness is a fountain of life. Verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers up all wrongs. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of those who have no sense. The wise store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Verse 19 says, Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. 
The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. The mouth of the righteous, from the mouth of the righteous comes the fruit of wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be silenced. The lips of the righteous know what finds favor, but the mouth of the wicked, only what is perverse. Proverbs is talking about uh, the righteous, the, the, the person who has, has righteous words and it's life-giving, it's edifying. It builds other people up. Our words matter. There's an old pastor that uh, reminded me that before we think we should, before we speak, we should think. And think is this old acronym. Um, and it's kind of cliche, but think means before we speak, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? The words of our mouth matter. They reveal something about who is inside of us. And James is saying that our faith is revealed through how we persevere through trials. Our faith is revealed by how we live and how we act in our works in this world. And our faith is revealed in how we speak to each other. Our words are powerful. Our words are dangerous. And our words are revealing. I want to close today with this old prayer that is in Psalm 19. And maybe it's a prayer that we can pray today. And as we get ready to pray this prayer, one of the things to consider is that as we are trapped in our homes around our family, how can our words be a source of life and encouragement to people around us? And then not just that, but maybe it's, it's beyond that. How do we uh, encourage other people? Checking in with phone calls, maybe it's an email, maybe it's even writing notes and letters, you remember how to do that, to mail things to each other. How do we spend time encouraging one another? Let's close with the words of this psalm, which can be our prayer. It says, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.